So I wanted to start off by introducing myself. My name is Mary Esther Burcham, and in 1998 I was when I got saved, and it was a radical salvation. I guess you could say my life went from night to day. It was like a complete change. Um, I'd been being drawn to the Lord for several months before that, and I had a, a time where uh, someone was trying to kill me, and so I was actually about to die, and I cried out to the Lord, and He saved me physically just with divine intervention and saved my life. And at, from that moment on, I just like totally surrendered everything to the Lord. He was not just my Savior, but my Lord, and I just, I was completely broken, and I was completely convinced that trying to do things of my own, even with good intentions, was not going to be good, and that I needed Him for every decision, no matter how small or how big, every moment, every part of my life, and so I just started out with a just a complete surrender to the Lord, and this was before I was married to Ron, and it was back when it was the vineyard here is where I started coming to church. And I'd been saved for about a year, I guess, and I was going through a hard time. I'd had like a friend betrayal and was being persecuted and was just heartbroken. And we had a night of worship, and the band was playing, and everybody was just around worshiping. It was just awesome. And I was laying on the floor on, on my face, just crying out to the Lord. And I was actually crying so hard, I was like making a puddle on the floor. <laughs> um, if you saw on that table out there the, the sculpture with the wing and the woman's laying underneath the wing, well, that's what I would do. I would just like come to the Lord and I would just get in His presence and, and just be with Him and let Him heal me and change me and love on me, and I would just be there. And so, actually, when Ron saw that sculpture, he gave it to me as one of our anniversary presents because it was just such a, a special time for me with the Lord. But So I was laying on the floor, and Jesus came up to me. And for me, it was like it was, wasn't just a vision. It was real. Like he came up to me and pulled me up and asked me to marry him. And I said yes, and we ascended into heaven, and I was wearing a white wedding dress, and I, could see, I couldn't see the Lord, but I knew He was there sitting on the throne, and angels were around, and we got married and danced in front of the Father and angels, and that experience was so real to me, and at the time, because I was early with the Lord, I didn't know that people had experiences like that. So I, something that I kind of just kept pondered in my heart and just like a treasure. And I didn't tell anybody, but it just like transformed my life. It was like just helped me get through things like, oh, I'm the bride of Christ. Jesus loves me. I'm married to Jesus. And it would just like give me joy. And I um, even had like times where um, people manifested demonically around me and they would say like oh you're the bride of Christ and like the first time it happened I was like oh, like like you know because I hadn't said it to anybody and they're like oh we know like we know who you are and even had a man that like 
ran from me at the mall. He was like, this is the pride of Christ, and he ran. And so the Lord was just showing me that sometimes, like, the, the demons even know who we are, even when we don't fully know who we are. But, uh, so everything about him being my husband was real, and pr- even in practical ways. Like, he told me to quit my job where I was making more money to work with uh, people with special needs and teach sign language. And it was actually my first prophetic word from the Lord was when Pastor Tom was the assistant pastor. And he came up to me at a, one of our worship nights and said, the Lord said, if you follow through on your decision today that he would back you up. And I, he had told me to go get a newspaper and showed me the job. And and he said that, you know, he'll back me up. And every week was like a financial miracle of some kind, in some way, supernatural miracle for him to provide for me. And I never felt lonely. And we would laugh together. So it was very real to me that from our early on in my walk that I am the bride of Christ. And I, one time I asked the Lord, what would it look like to be the bride of Christ? And he gave me that poem that's out on the table there in the frame just to show me what it would look like. And I keep that on my dresser as a kind of a reminder of who he says I am. And so I've always kind of felt like it was like the call on my life was just to sit at his feet and to listen to him, to minister to him, to um, break open my alabaster flask and worship him, especially through dance. But that that was the biggest call in my life is to minister to him and just to be his bride. Um, recently, Marion Hauser gave me this awesome, like it's a workbook called Bible Studies for the Preparation of the Bride, and it's been amazing. And there's 34 studies in it, and I've only gotten to study number 12 because they're so rich and so deep, and I want to live it out instead of just rushing through it. And I'm excited about learning some more. But it's just been so cool. And what I love about it is every question, the answers in the Word. And so I love that because it's grounded on the Word, and that keeps you from going off track. But I also felt like the Lord's like, it's also, His Word is so that we can experience it in our lives. Like it's not a carrot dangling at the end of a stick. Like if He tells you that these are your promises, and this is who you are, and this is how you can live, then he means it. He wants for us to live it out. And um, so back when, if you'll recall, we had the tabernacle set up and we celebrated Purim. Well, months before that, when Spirit and Truth was preparing for that, and what we do is when we do a dance, it's not just a dance. We study and we learn about it. We pray into it so that it's like a picture of what God's doing, and, and we want to live it out in spirit and truth. But so we were studying at that point this Queen Esther book and to prepare for Purim. And back then, as I was reading about it, it said, um, this book is about Jews, meaning the book of Esther, but it is symbolic of the church and of how the church age will end. The Feast of Tabernacles is symbolic of the Kingdom Age that immediately follows the Church Age, which is ending. And when I read that, I felt like the Lord was like, 
I want you to do something special around the Feast of Tabernacles this year because it's going to be a really special time. And so I was already thinking in terms of doing Hebrew dances and doing something for Feast of Tabernacles. And then Pastor Tom says, uh, you know, we feel like we're supposed to go to Israel. And so it's just really cool the way it's all kind of gone together with the Hebrew dancing and everything. And um, if someone has... The Song of Songs 2, 10 through 14. Please read. And Terry has the microphone to bring to whoever has it. So I'm going to use my phone as I can see that. Uh, Song of Songs 2, 10 through 14. My beloved spoke to me and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. See, the winter is past, the rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth, the season of singing has come. The cooing of the doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. My dove in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places in the mountainside, show me your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. So, yes, so that's what, a, this is to me so exciting because, well, I first noticed my own trees, my Bradford pear trees are blooming, and I've heard that they're blooming like all over this area, and Terry's like her plum trees blooming, and our trees have never bloomed in autumn before, and the, after the hurricane, I had like bluebirds and cardinals and orioles and had seven hummingbirds <laughs> and I even had like this little handheld feeder where the hummingbird came up and drank out of my hand it was so cool and yeah and it was like so I'm like thinking because he had given me the scripture to start off with a long time ago and it's like the song of songs is being manifest uh, there's the picture of our trees right there See how they're blooming? And it's like it's being manifest right now in our area. This is not April. It's October. And it's like, so Florence, of course, means to blossom, to flourish, and prosperity. But it's like the rains are over and gone. The winter is past. The season of singing is here. And uh, the blossoms, they're blossoming, and the fig trees forming. Is, it's like all of it is going on. And I just like, I feel like the Lord is speaking through this. And I feel like there's three ways that he's speaking. And one is personally, and that's for every person individually. Like, this is your, your winter is past. The season of singing is here. It's time for joy. This is a new beginning. This is a time of refreshing, and it's a time to draw into your relationship with the Lord. And I also felt like it's for Global River Church, um, that God is just so pleased at the way that we have shown His love to others 
through this storm and that this is our winter is past and the season of singing has come. And so I'm really excited about that. And I also feel it's prophetic for the end times, that it's for Israel as well, that um, if you think of the fig tree is Israel and a vine is the church, then Israel is ripe for the gospel and the church is ready to produce fruit and go out and minister in full resurrection power. And it's like so exciting that we get to be a part of what God's doing. The actual end time events are unfolding right now and whether you're actually going to Israel with us or you're praying or you're giving money, it's like this is just like so amazing that we get to be a part of it. And I know when Pastor Tom first talked about it, uh, I felt like the Lord say, I want you to go and dance barefooted on the land. So at some point, I'm going to kick my shoes off and just dance around. I don't know what that's going to do, but it's just like so exciting to me. Um, so Amos 9-1-1, 9-11. But also on that judgment day, I will restore David's house that has fallen to pieces. I'll repair the holes in the roof, replace the broken windows, fix it up like new. Awesome. So uh, that, again, I think is for Global River Church. That's for us, that he's restoring the tent of David, which is worship. And also it's going to be happening in Israel as well. Uh, Matthew twenty four thirty two through thirty three. Now learn the parable from the fig tree, when its branch has already become tender, and puts forth its leaves. You know the summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Right at the door. So I feel like that's the time that we're living at right now, right at the door. So um, the Song of Solomon is sometimes called the Song of Songs, much like it's the Holy of Holies or Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So it's like the best of the best. So that's what I'll be calling it tonight. And also for the purpose of this study, uh, the king is Jesus and the Shulamite, or I'm going to call us the beloved, is uh, a type of true believer who is longing for a deeper fellowship with Jesus and is actively pursuing him. So Song of Songs 6, 8 through 9. There are three score queens and four score concubines and virgins without number. My dove, my undefiled, is but one. She is the only one of her mother. She is the, the choice one of her. Okay. She is the choice one of her that bear her. The daughters saw her and blessed her. Yeah, the queens and the concubines, and they praised her. 
So here we see a special kind of love that Jesus has for his bride. And as his beloved, this should encourage us to keep ourselves pure for him. God is ever ready to bestow much grace and accomplish much work in the life of any believer who is, will permit him the liberty to carry on his work and complete it to its full end. But those that allow that grace to work are few. But the choice is yours. So, who sings a new song to Christ? Revelation 14, 1 through 3. Then I saw the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven, like the roar of mighty ocean waves or the rolling of loud thunder. It was like the sound of many harpists playing together. This great choir sang a wonderful new song in front of the throne of God and before the four living beings and the 24 elders. No one could learn this new song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. Awesome. So in my Bible, I have a study Bible, and it has a note under this, and it says, The reward awaiting those who persevere in their faith in Jesus. The scene of 144,000 outstanding believers appearing in heaven, close to the Lamb, symbolically represent the most consecrated and faithful of God's people of all time, who enjoy special position and favor in heaven. It's not limited to that number. Any believer may be among this group by consecrated and devoted faith, love, and service. And when I read that, I just got so inspired. I'm like, I want to be one of those people, Lord. So, and I just like, I want to live my life, you know, just raise the standard with an awareness of how I spend my time, my thoughts, my words, so that I can live a life that would be pleasing to the Lord. So describe the character of the only ones that can learn this song, Revelation 14, 4, and 5. <laughs> These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which followed the Lamb, whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So they're pure, obedient, redeemed, honest, and blameless. So what is the cry of the bride's spirit? Song of Songs 1-2. Song of Songs, chapter 1, verse 2 says, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. So in the salvation experience, Jesus is the initiator. It's like he chose us first. He loved us first. No one can come to the Father unless they're drawn by the Son. 
And in the intimate relationship, it's different. It's like we initiate that part. Um, like she's calling out, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. So it's like Jesus wants that relationship with everyone, and everyone who seeks him will find him, but it's those that, that pursue him, that want him, that, that go that extra mile to, to have that relationship. They're the ones that are. And Ron sent out a devotion this morning, and Bill Johnson, I think the way he said this sentence really describes it perfectly. It's romance is no longer romance when it's commanded. So, so what should you do if you do not have this intense desire? Ephesians 1, 17 through 19. And that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. Wow. So that is one prayer he will pray. He will answer is to know him and to love him more. Uh, and another thing he showed me was the difference between the throne room and the bridal chamber. And uh, one of the things I love about God the most is that at our time of need, we can boldly approach the throne of grace. So no matter if we've messed up or we've gotten distracted and haven't paid attention to him or in the middle of a crisis, we can, help, we're right there. And he's right there with us and just like right there. And so that's awesome. But the Bridal chambers is a little different, and the way the Lord showed me is through my relationship with my husband, Ron. He's like, okay, so you're married, and there'll be times, like, he'll come home from work and, like, how's your day? What do you need from the grocery store? Can you take out the trash? Or maybe we'll go out ministering together, or we'll sit on the couch together, um, be around other people. But then we have the time that's our intimate time well, we're going to go into the bridal chamber and shut the door. We're not going to answer the phone. We're going to have the lights dim and some pretty music playing. And I'm not going to ask him to take out the trash and, is, and not going to answer the phone or anything. So it's like a special set-apart time that's just for the Lord, just for looking upon him and loving him. It's not your intercession time, which is very important, or anything else. It's just that special time. So, and also uh, out on the table, I have a book open. It has pictures of Israel, and I have it open to uh, Rebecca's well, and the, the well where Abraham had sent out his servant to look for a bride for his son, and he, the requirement was the one that gives water to his camels. So whenever I had pictured that story in my mind before, it was all, always just, you know, you just go up to the well and get the water, but the well is actually 60 feet deep. So you have to walk all the way down these stairs, get the water, come all the way up, and then how many times he had, she had to do that, I don't know. But So I felt like the Lord was saying, like, if Abraham's God and he's sending out it, Holy Spirit to look for a bride for his son, Jesus, who is he going to want? He's going to want somebody that's willing 
to dig down deep into the word, which is the water, which is the word, and be willing to come up and take it out and serve it to others. And uh, on Sunday, when we were worshiping and during the word, I just felt like really like the Lord was saying, that's what Global River's been doing. You know, like his heart is so touched with us digging down deep and helping through this time of need. And it hasn't been like, oh, one of those easy, like, oh, I'll help you. But it's, you know, you had to go out and dig deep and really just serve. And that's what his bride looks like to him. So I just felt like he's just so pleased with us and everything. And I wanted to say also that what it looks like to be the bride is different for each person. So we don't compare or, because that's not the way God sees us. He's not going to say, well, you weren't like so-and-so or you didn't do this. or He's just going to be like, what is your call? Have you been true to what I've called you to do? And that's how you are the bride, and it's going to look different than the way it is for me. But um, Matthew 22, 1 through 14. Matthew 22, 1 through 14, the, the parable of the wedding banquet. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepares a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and padded cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest ceased his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burnt their city. Then said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone, who find, anyone you find. So the servant went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when, but when the king came to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and garnishing the teeth. For many, for many are invited but few are chosen. Thank you, Lord. And Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, 
they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the other, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him and the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, Believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. So when I, Ron and I did that dance where I was dressed in the bridal dress, the Lord had given me a vision of me wearing a wedding gown, and I didn't have one like that, so I was like, oh my goodness, how am I ever going to get a dress like that? And I actually found one that was very good price and was able to get it, but it came from England, <laughs> and when it got here, it, it didn't fit. And I was kind of like, oh, no, because I was like, I was really like the bride. I was like so excited about, you know, my special time with the Lord and everything. But I was able to, to go to an alteration shop and had to go back and forth and all this and get it done right. And, but it just really, like, showed me, like, how there's sometimes there's that window of time where there was enough time to get it done, but there's going to be a time where, you don't have that time. It's just like either you've got your wedding garment that fits or you don't. And if you don't, then it's going to be like such a regret that just... And then also about the oil is that it, no one can give you that oil. That's something that you've got to do yourself in your own time. And I just really feel like that now is the time we just need to be ready. We need to be prepared for everything, for Jesus. So, Psalm 45, 10 through 11. <laughs> Psalms 45, 10 through 11. Listen, O daughter, consider and incline your ear. Forget your own people also and your father's house. So the king will greatly desire your beauty because he is your Lord. Worship him. Awesome. So Psalm 45 is very special to me. Uh, many years ago, Charles and Ann Stock did a conference here on a Saturday. And when we came in, everybody got like a little ribbon with a feather on it and a verse. And they said, we prayed over these. And so we believe this is a word uh, from the Lord for you. And that's what I got was um, the king is enthralled with your beauty. Honor him for he is your Lord. And it touched my heart so much. I still, all these years, I've got it on my dresser. And so I've always loved Psalm 45. And the first part is about Jesus and has some warfare stuff in it. And it's really good. And the second part's about the bride. It's about a wedding. And um, I was like, Lord, are you calling me to warfare? Or are you calling me to love? Because I've kind of like been both. And he's like, it's 
both. I'm calling you to both because you showed me a coin, how it has two sides. And one is the bride and one is the warrior. And he's like, you can't really be one without the other. If you try to do warfare and you don't have Jesus Christ backing you up, you're either going to be powerless at the very least or you're going to get another person hurt or yourself hurt like the sons of Sceva. And um, if you really love the Lord, you're also going to want to fight for other people. You're going to want them to, to not be hurt by sin or anything. And you're going to, like Jesus, why God loves them so much, it says, is because he loves righteousness, but he hates wickedness as well. So it's like, to me, they're intricately put together. And so throughout the Song of Songs, Jesus reveals himself at the place that he wishes to draw the believer. So he's like the magnet of the story. So where does the Lord desire to draw the beloved? Song of Songs 4, 6. Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. So the hill of frankincense historically is Calvary. And we learned in an earlier bridal study that myrrh has many uses. It's uh, an embalming spice. It takes away wrinkles, and it's in the anointing oil of Aaron. So through these symbols, the Lord is saying that through his death, through an identification with his death, he's taken away all of our wrinkles and bringing us forth in a greater anointing, even the anointing of the high priest himself. So what does Paul say will bring about a deeper knowledge of him? Philippians 3.10. Philippians 3.10. That I, may, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. So the desire of the beloved, even from the beginning, was to have a deep fellowship with the Lord. So this path is one of total death to self. But through this death, there springs up from within a transcendent overcoming power, a greater degree of spiritual perception, a closer relationship with, the God, with God and our soul, and a more complete deliverance from this wilderness world. So the Lord is sending forth a call to come up higher to victory. So what question does the Lord continue to ask the beloved? Mark 10, 37 through 38. They said to him, Grant us that we may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? So not only does the Lord call us into a deeper identification with his death, but in what else does he call us to share? Song of Songs 4, 8. 
Come away with me from Lebanon, my promised bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the top of Amana, from the peak of Sanir and Harmon, from the lion's dens and from the mountains of the leopards. So he's calling us to go up to a high place with him and look down at the world. And this signifies a call to join the Lord in his resurrection victory. And it's really cool that a lot of the experiences that I have had with the Lord were on a mountain or we're somewhere high and we're looking down together. So when I read that, it was like confirmation, like, oh, wow, yeah, that's something that he likes to do. So where is Christ seated? Ephesians 1.20. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Awesome. And when, uh, this morning at intercession, uh, Pastor Michael was talking about that, being seated at his right hand, and we prayed into that. This morning. So what are we exhorted to do? Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits at God's right hand in the place of honor and power. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Do not think only about things down here on earth. For you died when Christ died, and your real life is hidden Mm. with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your real life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. That's awesome that you got that verse because it's kind of like your song that you wrote, isn't it? The new life. Yeah, so we learned that the leaping upon or the journeying on the mountain speaks of the resurrection power of the Lamb and His exaltation above the kingdoms of this world. So the risen Lord wants the beloved to come up on the top and look down with Him. So, and when he had read about the different mountains, Amana means integrity and truth. Sinir means a coat of mail like a knight in shining armor wears, and Hermon means destruction. So in integrity and through the revelation of truth, covered in the full armor of God and hidden in him who's manifested to defeat the devil, we are exhorted to come up and look and see that we're seated far above all the powers and principalities of this world because of the victory at Calvary. Woohoo! <laughs> So what else will we encounter there in the heavenlies? So whoever had Song of Songs 4.8, you'd be reading it again. (laughs) Come away with me from Lebanon, my promised bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the top of Amana and from the peak of Sinir and Harmon from the lion's dens and from the mountains of the leopards. So I was like, I think there's just like the mountains, dens, the mountains of leopards and the dens of lions. I was like, there's got to be something more with that. So I Googled it and looked up the commentary, and it 
said that lions and leopards are symbolic of the call of Christ to come out from wicked men. And uh, then it also had a part about the come with me that Christ chooses not to go without his church. I thought that was really cool. So not only have we been called to come into a deeper identification with his death and resurrection, but we've been called to enter into spiritual warfare in the heavenlies by telling us about the dens of mountains and the mountains of leopards, dens of lions and mountains of leopards. So where is our battle and against whom do we fight? Ephesians 6.12. The armor of God, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So when we have heavenly experiences, we can actually come to the enemy's hideout and come face to face with him and come to grips with him to break his power. So um, I had an experience just recently with the Lord, and this time we were standing at the bottom of a mountain, and he was saying to come up to the mountain. He was, but he was like, before you go up the mountain, there's some things you got to let go of. So I had to like seek him of what they were and journal about them. And because when you go up, it's like symbolic of you're seeing through his eyes the way he sees. And you can't hold on to your old mindsets, your old reactions, your old ways of thinking and bind the lies if you're going to see, the, you've got to do one or the other. So I had to come to a, a place where I was just like, okay, I'm going to let that go, and I'm going to do it a different way. So I just want to encourage everybody to have some time with the Lord where you have to be humble for Him to show you, like, what do you need to let go of to go on to this next level of the journey that I know that God is calling all of us to go on. And then you have to be willing, like, willing to let it go and Sometimes we can be willing, but we're not able, and that's where prayer ministry comes in, which I'm a believer in, and just so that, just to say that it's really the time is now to find out if there's anything that's hindering us to go up higher with the Lord. But I ended up writing this in my journal after I had this experience with him. So there's a crispness in the air, a change of season. The time is now to see as he sees, to let go of all mindsets, all ways of thinking, acting and reacting, to respond with his heart, his mind, in agreement with what he says is true. No more delay or procrastination. The old has gone and the new has come. You can't be the bride, the overcomer, your best, and still hold on to the old lies and comfort zones. It is time to be courageous, free, gracious, compassionate, strong, never giving up, not letting anything stop me, not to be distracted by the world, my flesh, or the enemy's tactics, to be fully focused on him, and to be beautifully fierce. And uh, the fierce word just really popped out at me, so I looked it up, and it means intense aggressiveness, showing a heartfelt and powerful intensity, unrestrained, enemy butt-kicking, passionate, fervent, ardent, exceptional quality, noble warrior. And I just feel like that's really 
like we can't be lukewarm or complacent. We have to be fierce and are going after the Lord. So the psalmist gives a prophetic word concerning this experience. Psalm 18, 33 through 42. Terry's getting her exercise tonight. <laughs> he makes my feet like the feet of deer and sets me on my high places. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand has held me up. Your gentleness has made me great. You enlarged my path under me, so my feet did not slip. I have pursued my enemies and overtaken them. Neither did I turn back again till they were destroyed. I have wounded them so that they could not rise. They have fallen under my feet. For you have armed me with strength for the battle. You have subdued under me those who rose up against me. You have also given me the necks of my enemies, so that I destroyed those who hated me. They cried out, but there was none to save, even to the Lord, but he did not answer them. Then I beat them as fine as the dust before the wind. I cast them out like dirt in the streets. Wow. So let's analyze this psalm right here. So what is our position So we are standing on the heights. That's our position. So what would be the preparation for that? So he trains our hands for battle. He gives us his shield of victory. His right hand sustains us. He stoops down to make us great. And he broadens the path beneath us so that our ankles do not turn. Okay, so I know you're going to get this one. <laughs> what is our store, source of strength? Or who is our source of strength? The Lord. Jesus. Yay. <laughs> okay, so what is the purpose and the result of that? Victory. Yes. Complete victory. The enemy is subdued. And he is turned back and destroyed. So this is a beautiful picture of a warrior of God, the overcomer. So the Lord is calling the beloved to enter into spiritual warfare in the heavenlies and to totally subdue the enemy under our feet as we learn to overcome by the blood of the Lamb. So for the first time, how does the Lord address the beloved? Once again, song 4-8. I lost it, sorry. Okay. Come away with me from Lebanon, my promised bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the top of Amana, from the peak of Sanir, and from Hermon from the lion's dens, and from the mountains of the leopards. So this time he calls her his bride. So what does the word say about the man who is joined to the Lord? 1 Corinthians six seventeen. The man who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Wow. Yes. Awesome. So when you're joined to the Lord, 
and you're one spirit with him. You're one in thought and desire and will. So by calling the beloved his bride, the king is expressing that his desire for her is as her desire is for him. So this is a person that he can confide in and share everything with and tell his deep and intimate secrets to, that uh, he can share his plans but also receive love from her. So what did Jesus and Paul say about this? John sixteen twelve. There is so much more I would like to say to you, but it's more than you can grasp at this moment. And 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. <laughs> Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger, and you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another, quarrel with one another. Doesn't that prove that you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and the other says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting like just people of the world? Oop, I went too far, sorry. <laughs> so... The believer in the Song of Songs has come to a place of maturity, and um, that's the place where God can share his heart with someone that's mature. And um, we can come to a place of being so unified with the Lord that we respond as his resp spirit responds. When he grieves, we grieve. When he rejoices, we rejoice. So how does... Spiritual insight developed. Psalm one nineteen ninety eight through a hundred. You through your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the agents, because I keep your precepts. So. Although it is God who initially captures our love by drawing us to himself, to whom will Jesus love and reveal himself? John fourteen twenty one. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and will reveal myself to each of them. Wow. So as a result of our meditation, uh, God is able to communicate the deep things of his heart. And it actually captures his love when we do that. So what may a single strand of your necklace suggest? Proverbs 1, 8 through 9. My son, oh, my son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother, for they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head, and chains about thy neck. So, not only to be a hearer of the word, but to be a doer of the word. 
So the psalmist David prophesied concerning this great love between the believer and her God in Psalm 45, a psalm celebrating the king's marriage. There are many noble ladies present. Yet who stands at the king's right hand? Psalm 45, 6 through 9. Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with a scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than any other, anyone else. Myrrh and aloes and cassia perfume your robes and ivory palaces, the music of strings entertain you King's daughters are among your noble women, and at your right hand stands the queen, wearing jewelry of finest gold from Ophir. It's amazing that Marion got that scripture, isn't it? That's one of your scriptures that you end up speaking about a lot. I feel like the Lord's saying, that is you. You are the royal bride in gold. Yeah. And uh, I looked up, because I was like, why do they specify Ophir? And uh, so I looked up that, and it's the place that they got the gold from. But it's just known for the, the gold from there is known for its purity. So I thought that was cool. And gold also represents the divine or the likeness and glory of God on us. So what will cause the king to desire our beauty? Psalm 45, 10 through 11. That was, again, yeah. Forty-five, uh, ten, and eleven. Listen, O daughter, consider and incline your ear. Forget your own people also and your father's house. So the king will greatly desire your beauty because he is your Lord. Worship him. Um, I don't know if you're asking for the answer to the question, but I believe it's worship. <laughs> Yes, good job. So we have to consider and give ear and forget our people in our father's house. So what does the king say about his bride's fragrance? Song of Songs 410. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. Oh, thank you. So oil is the Holy Spirit. So that's the release of the Spirit in the life of that believer. So what has the bride begun to do? 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. Thank God he has made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphant procession. Mm -hmm. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God, but this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. Mm 
So the Lord's rejoicing over his bride is recorded by the prophet Isaiah. Describe that rejoicing and the way the Lord looks upon this believer. Isaiah 62, 3 through 5. The Lord will hold you in his hand for all to see, a splendid crown in the hand of God. Never again will you be called the forsaken city or the desolate land. Your new name will be the city of God's delight and the bride of God. For the Lord delights in you and will claim you as his bride. Awesome. So thank you. So at the beginning, the beloved saying, about the king's love is better than wine. But now the king is saying that the beloved's love to him is better than wine. And wine represents joy in the scriptures. So Jesus is saying that our love for him is better than joy to him. That it is in itself the delight of his heart. So um, we're going to have Ron and Sean... Lead us in a couple of songs, and then we're going to do a couple of dances, and really hoping that you will join in with us on the second dance. And next week, we'll be learning about the garden, and it's really cool about the different things in the garden, but part of it's about the south wind and the north wind, which also goes along with hurricane. So, Well, that was really a wonderful teaching, wasn't it? Awesome. I loved it. I loved the participation. All right, let's stand. We'll go grab our kids from our children's ministry. Lord, we thank you right now. You want to pray for us, Katie? Come on, girl. Oh, Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for your peace and your joy, Lord. And we just thank you, Lord, that we are one with Israel. And you said, Lord, that those that bless Israel will be blessed. And we just cry, Lord, for peace for every one of us, Lord, as we go home or hang out with somebody, Lord, and talk after, Lord, that your will would be done in our lives, God, and we just commit everything to you, Lord, and even things that we don't understand, Lord, we just commit them to you, Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you all. Have a great one.